We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. In this message series called Cross Words, words that Christ said from the cross. And I shared in week before last message that this day, God has been planning this day for thousands of years. The Bible says before the foundations of the world, God had a plan to redeem mankind. God had a plan. His desire has always been, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will dwell among them. And we know because of the fall of Adam and Eve that there was separation between God and man. At first he was in the wilderness with them. At first he was in a tabernacle. Then there was a temple. God has been planning this day because he wants to take his hands and grab the veil of the temple and tear it from top to bottom. God has been planning this day because he wants to be with us all the time. Not just have a priest come into his presence once a year and offer sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. No, God wants to dwell in us, live in us, walk with us, talk with us, every moment of every day. And God is excited about this day. The first words Christ spoke was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father. Jesus, from the moment he started speaking, he made this statement, I don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it. Every word I speak, everywhere I go, every step I take, it is directed by the Father. He says, forgive them. Who was the them? Well, it was the Roman soldiers who were at that moment nailing his hands and feet to the cross. He was asking God to forgive Pilate, the Sanhedrins, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those in the crowd around the cross because they were sneering at him, mocking him, laughing. He was asking God to forgive those who were yet to come. Forgive the ones on the crosses beside him and also to forgive you and me because we don't know what we're doing. When we commit sin, we don't know what we're doing to him. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I asked the question, why three crosses? Why God? Why wasn't it just Jesus? Why wasn't he by himself the focal point? Well, it's on purpose. Two criminals, one on left, one on the right. Jesus is in the middle. There is no middle ground for you and me. 
Jesus is in the middle. He's the mediator between us and God. We are either going to be on the right or we are either going to be on the left. Today, people want to go, well, I'll take the middle ground. No, Jesus has got the middle ground. We want to be politically correct. No, we've got to be biblically correct. So either you get right, one criminal asking, will you remember me? And Jesus said, today, today. He's a God of the present. I am that I am. The other criminal continued to mock. You either get right or you will be left. We need to understand that today. There's no middle ground. God is a God of mercy, grace, and love. Absolutely. But we have to take one side or the other. You know him as Lord and Savior, or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. We've got to get right. We've got to get left. And last words are important. I ask you this question. If you knew that today was your last day on this earth, who would you talk to and what would you say? If I knew this was the last message I would ever preach to you, I would preach the same thing I'm preaching today. I would want you to have this as my last message. I would want you to remember me as a pastor who told you the truth. Because you see, I have to speak what the Father tells me to speak. I have to say it. I can't be up here going, but pastor, uh, but pastor, uh, what if some people get offended? What if some people get their feelings hurt? I'd rather offend you because the gospel is offensive. I'd rather you get your feelings hurt and get right than be left. I'd rather you get mad at me and be right with God because that's truth and truth sets us free. So Jesus said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He said, I will remember you and today you will be with me in paradise. But he also said these words in Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. From noon till three in the afternoon, darkness was over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness, this is not an accident. This is not just some eclipse that is supposed to happen. But the Bible records this. The writers write this down on purpose. Darkness covered the earth for three hours. Three. Why does that number keep popping up? Three causes. Three hours of darkness. 
Didn't Jesus have the audacity to say, you may destroy this temple, but in three days I will build it again? Three. He talks about the Father. He talks about himself. I am the Messiah. Then he says, I will send you a comforter. One, two, three. God is trying to send us a message. Isn't it amazing that the light of the world is being crucified in darkness? Remember his birth in the middle of the night, darkness? And there was a light that shone in the darkness. And now we have his crucifixion. Three hours of darkness. And after three hours of darkness, a light begins to shine again. For three hours, nothing was spoken. For three hours, it was darkness. Some theologians say it was dark just in that area. Other theologians say, no, the darkness covered the entire earth. Darkness. Begin to look at the symmetry between the birth and the darkness and you see that God is bringing this thing in full circle back to the beginning, the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God was thinking about you and me, forgiveness, redemption, bringing us together. But before that happens, people are in darkness. When we look around and see people living their lives and they're walking around and they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, they're saying things they shouldn't be saying, we have to look at them and have compassion. They don't know what they're doing. They're living in darkness. It's only when light comes in that you can finally see, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's how I'm living. That's where I'm going because of the darkness. And nothing is at chance. And the Bible says that he is the light of the world. And then he tells us that we are to be the light of the world. You don't light a candle and you put it under a bushel. No, but you light a candle and put it on a table so that the whole room can see. Your lives are light. And no wonder you have problems and no wonder you have obstacles because the world is filled with darkness. And we are light. Silence from the cross. Jesus said nothing. No words were spoken. Can you imagine the word of God not saying a word? Wow. He could have said, let there be light. He'd already done it once before. He could have said, God, open their eyes so they understand this moment. We know great songwriters have written this phrase. He could have called 10,000 angels. He had all of the power of heaven at his command. So why did he hang there in darkness, in silence? Why did he scream out, my God, my God? Why have you forsaken me? It is at this point, most theologians believe this was the most excruciating moment of the crucifixion. Hanging there, darkness. Everywhere. 
Have you ever been in a place so dark you felt it? You ever been there? In Uray, Colorado, there is a mine called the Bachelor Syracuse Mine. It was hewn out by hand. So it's not a really large entrance. It's not a large mine. It was mined by hand. The way you get into that mine now is you straddle a little rail car. They put a hard hat on you and you bend over like this and you ride a rail into this mine. And every 500 feet, there is a light bulb, and that's it. Water's dripping on you. You're hunched over like this. For two miles into the mine. After you get in there for two miles, that opens up into a bigger room. They stop. You get off. And there's some candles that are in there. And they talk about how that the, the miners used the candles. If there was not enough oxygen for the candle to light, they had to get out. And so in that moment of him talking, he said, now I'm about to blow out the candle. And he blows it out. And I was raised in Mississippi, in the woods, where it's dark, where you cannot see your hand in front of your face, but not like this. This darkness was so dark, I didn't even know if I had a hand. I'm serious. Everybody found it hard to breathe. It was heavy on your chest. The darkness, just like, whew. all of a sudden I heard about it go, whew. and the guy starts laughing. He goes, hard to breathe in the darkness, isn't it? They go, yeah. Then you started hearing stuff. They call it Tommy Knockers. Do you know that the earth is constantly moving and shifting and popping and making noise? I never knew this. Now I'm hearing all these noises that I didn't hear when there was light. And everybody's minds are starting to go crazy. Our imaginations begin to wake up. It is dark. What is in here? We're going to see one of those big old lizard-like things coming toward us. Huh? And then he said, now close your eyes. Really? He said, I'm about to light a candle and you've got to close your eyes. Because if you don't, it could hurt your eyes. A candle? We close our eyes, he lights the candle, and we open our eyes, and it was so bright. The brightness was equal to the darkness of one candle. And I thought to myself, there are people who are living in this life who can't hardly breathe every day, whose imaginations are going crazy because how I many know the enemy, when he brings darkness into your mind and heart and life, he will bring all kinds of imaginations. The Bible tells us that we've got to take every thought captive and every vain imagination that comes with it. In our own lives as Christians, if we're not careful, we're the light. But if we're not careful, the enemy will get us imagining all kinds of crazy stuff. Things that aren't even true. And if we're not careful, our light will begin to grow a little dimmer. 
Our light will begin to get more darkness in our life and then the imagination really, and we gotta take it captive and we gotta take this vain imagination and throw it down. Because the enemy wants to come in and speak words to you. Have you ever felt forsaken? Forsaken. Forsaken. He said, I have been forsaken by God. I've been abandoned. That's what it means. I've been left helpless. I am alone. That's what he said. I've been forsaken by God. And this was a man who was conceived by the Holy Spirit who has only known life on this earth by the Father's presence talking to him, saying every word he says and leading him in every way he goes and directing every footstep. And now for the very first time in his life, the Father has forsaken him. Have you ever felt that way? Felt forsaken. None of your friends are around. They're gone. None of your family's giving you any kind of consolation. They're gone. Church people, gone. By yourself. I'm helpless. I'm all alone. I've been abandoned. I have been forsaken by God even. When you have your darkest moments in your life, the enemy will come in with all kinds of lies. Nobody cares. Nobody loves you. If they did, they'd be right here with you. No one is going to help you. They've got their lives. They're going on about it. And Jesus says, I have felt everything you will ever feel. And in this moment, he felt what all of us have felt at times. Darkness, abandonment, helpless, all alone. I've been there. And in that moment, he also had this happen. I've had this happen to me. You've had it happen to you. Where the words that he said, the words he really said, Eloi, Eli, Lima Sabachthani, they misinterpret what he said. You ever had somebody say you said something you didn't say? <laughs> Can I get a herd? <laughs> yeah. On the cross, he's saying in the Syriac language, a language he didn't normally speak in, he spoke mostly in Aramaic. But at this moment, he speaks in the Syriac language because it has the most violent context to it. My God! My God! And those around the cross are going, he's calling on Eli. He's waiting for Elijah. Somebody, hey, let's watch and see if Elijah comes to save him. I've said all kinds of words preaching and people say something that I said, take it out of context and go, well, pastor said this. Oh, I didn't. I didn't say that. Cross words. 
They were using them in a cross way. You've had your words. You, you were saying one thing and they took it and said it, it meant something else. You're going, oh, I, I would never do that. He would never be calling on Elijah. And yet these skeptics are there making fun. He's calling on Elijah. Look at that crazy sign. King of the Jews. Let's see. Save yourself, remember? They cried out, save yourself. And today people are concerned only about themselves. Jesus was on that cross going through this forsaken, darkest moment of his life. Why did he do this? Well, he's not the only one that's ever felt this way. Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2 says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David felt that way. I want you to testify. Lift your hand. Have you ever felt that way? Lift your hand. Come on. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Have you ever been there? Where the darkness is overwhelming. You can't hardly breathe. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I've been there. Forsaken. But look at Psalm 37, 25. I was young and now I am old. You ready? Get ready. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. Come on, somebody give it up for God right about now. Come on. Hallelujah. It's a feeling that we get. It's not the truth. God's word is true. The enemy's word is a lie. In your darkest moments, guess what he's gonna whisper in your ear? You're forsaken. You're all alone. You're abandoned. You're helpless. It's the darkest part of your life. There's no hope. There's no help. You just might as well cash it in. But God's word, says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. I don't care how dark it gets in your life, how dark it gets in my life. I don't care how many people are twisting your words around. I don't care how many people have left you and gone astray. I'm here to tell you the truth. I have never seen righteous people forsaken by God nor their seed begging bread. Somebody gotta praise God today. Hallelujah. It's just an imagination. It's just a feeling. And the enemy captivates you in that moment. Your mind starts going crazy with all kinds of imaginations. Why was he going through this? Why did he feel like this? John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life 
for one's friend. You are a friend of God. I want you to get this. You are God's friend. God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be left abandoned, shall not be all alone, shall not be helpless, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why is he on this cross? Why did he say no words for three hours? Why is he in the middle? Why is he now feeling like you and I have felt? He said, I have felt everything you have felt. I have been tempted in every way that you are tempted, and yet I have not sinned. I did it for you. Because I love you. How can we know this truth and ever in a moment of darkest moments, ever in a time when it's really at our worst, that we ever say, God, don't you care? Or say, God, where are you? Oh, he's right there. He's Emmanuel, God with you. He's right there in your heart. He tore the veil from top to bottom. He's right there. He's just waiting for you to stand on the truth of his word and stop believing lies and vain imaginations. We get so caught up in ourselves, we forget about him. The criminal cried out. Remember this? Don't you fear God? And I talked about that Wonderful reverence and awareness of God. The fearing, it causes me not to do a bunch of things. I don't do it because I fear God. I feared God when I was dating. I feared my parents when I was dating. <laughs> I fear God with my finances. I fear God with my worship. I fear, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I fear God in all the areas of my life that keeps me from doing things. But I don't have fear because fear paralyzes you. If we fear God in this negative way, then we're fearing God for punishment. I don't fear God for punishment. I believe one day I will receive a reward from God. Why would I fear that? I believe that when I see him face to face, I will know him as he is known. This cloudiness will be gone and it will be revealed who he truly is and I will be overwhelmed at the love he has for me. Why would I fear that? But as a kid, before I became a Christian, I feared missing the rapture. Anybody ever feared missing the rapture? Did the rapture ever happen, you thought? And you missed it? Scared me to death, man. The enemy has a fear. And he wants to put that fear into you. We don't have a negative fear because we fear God. Because 1 John 4.18 says this. It says, there is no fear in love. Well, back it up. Come on, I'm going to get you there. There is no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love drives out what? Fear. The fear of punishment. That's what this fear is. 
Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It paralyzes you. Fear is driven out by love. So you have fear of punishment. You have love. You can't have a whole bunch of this stuff mixed in together. Because fear and love do not cohabitate together. They are oil and water. They don't mix together. You either have love or you have fear. Yeah. My kids had a good fear of their father because they thought I could command the elements. We were in our vehicle one day driving down the interstate and it was storming, rain hard. We were about to go under this multi-bridged bypass and I had a crazy thought. I told my kids, I said, you better be careful and obey everything I say because I can command the rain to stop and I can command it to start again. As we are going under this bypass, I said, stop! And it stopped. As we're coming out, I said, rain! And it started raining. My kids are freaking out. You ask them, they are freaking out. Our dad can command rain. Whatever he says, do it. Because fire will fall from heaven. Sound effects come into play. Yeah, they thought I could command the elements. Man, I had no problem with my kids obeying me. But I didn't want them to live in that fear, no. I want them to have a fear because they did not fear dad leaving. They felt safe in our home. They knew that nobody was going to break in and do anything bad because dad will protect us. Yeah. They did not fear not being loved because I hugged them, I kissed them every day even when they didn't want it. And guess what? My grown adult children, when they see me, they still hug me and kiss me on my lips. And you may go, oh, that's gross. That's my kids. I'm their dad. I don't care what you think. My son last week went to see him in Branson. He come up. He's a big dude now. He hugs me so tight, kisses me right on the lips, goes, I'm his dad. And that's love. But it's nothing compared to the love of your father who will never abandon you, who does command the elements, who has all power at his disposal. And so if you're going through a dark moment, he's right there with you. He will guide you. He will lead you. I will not even let death separate you. I will walk through the valley of the shadow with you. I will never leave you. You are my friend. And I've shown you all the love you need on the cross. You don't need me to do anything else to prove my love for you. And I've heard people say, but God, if you love me, you'll do this. He's already done his share of loving you. He's already done more than we will ever do to show our love for him. The enemy tries to get you to fear him with punishment 
Listen, when Jesus met the man with leprosy, remember that? And if you had leprosy, you were supposed to holler out when you got anywhere close to town. You had to be out of town. And if you got close, you yelled out, unclean, unclean. So people wouldn't even get close to you. Jesus did not fear culture. He did not fear society's rules. When he came in to the place of a leper, he didn't just speak to him, be healed. He touched him. Can you imagine a person who hasn't been touched by another human being in years? All of a sudden, somebody walking up and eyes filled with compassion and love and didn't just speak, be healed. He could have just done that. He could have just said, be healed. But he touched him. Hallelujah, Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to wrap his arms around you and love you and help you. That feeling of darkness is just a mirage by the enemy. Jesus didn't fear religious leaders. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. He ate with all the people that Society says don't touch. Don't, don't have anything to do with them. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. And today we've got to let any area of fear in our life get driven out by love. Love. Love has expectations, you know. When my kids were little, I mean, we went ballistic when they said goo goo. They just said encyclopedia. No, they didn't. They said, Gah. and had spit drooling out of their mouth. We got pumped. We called the grandparents. They just said, go, 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 go. Remember when your kids did this? First step, and then they fell. Remember that? They were walking. No, they're not. They took a step. But I got to tell you, as they grew, I began to have greater expectations from them. Wouldn't it be horrible if I, if I meet my adult son and daughter day and they go, gah, gah, gah. I'm not going to be impressed. If I got to hold both their hands for them to walk, I'm not going to be impressed. If I have to change their diaper, I'm not going to be impressed. I want them today because they have grown to have a conversation with me. I want them to walk on their own, eat on their own, live on their own, and I have greater expectations from them. And guess what? You are not infants anymore. God loves you. And as love grows... There's greater expectations. He doesn't want us to be walking around drinking milk when we're grown. Eat some meat. Get some protein. Eat some kale. <laughs> yeah. That's what adults eat. Kids don't eat that. But I don't want to eat what a baby eats either. Don't give me something in one of those infant feeder things where you syringe it through their mouth. Don't do that. 
I want my meat to look like me. Not <laughs> Greater expectations. And guess what? The Father expects more out of you and me as we grow in love. Because the greater we grow in love, the less fear. It gets pushed out. Fear gets pushed out. Love gets pushed in. Fear gets pushed out. Love gets pushed in. Because perfect love drives out fear. When we're babies in Christ, yeah, we still have a lot of fear. But as we grow, I don't fear what I will eat or drink or wear. Because I know my father will take care of, he told me, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that, son. I will take care of that for you. Okay, dad, I appreciate that. Now, how many of us are so concerned about what we're going to eat, drink, or wear that we can't give our tithe? Fear. Fear stops you from tithing. Well, I'm afraid we won't have enough money. Well, who's your provider? Who's your father? Well, I, I, I can't really have this much faith in this because this is big. This is cancer. I had a testimony just this week. Just, I love fresh stuff. If I come to your house, don't give me leftovers. I'm just telling you right up front. I want fresh, first time eating stuff. This week, I'll tell you who it was. Jeff Ditton. He was up here today. In the past, he's had issues with cancers inside of his lip. They've had to surgically remove them. He went and had another inspection. There was another one, bigger, badder in his lip. The doctor says we're going to bob to this, but we're more than likely going to have to remove part of your lip. He calls me, not in fear, but we're two or three agree upon something. Got some more power. Let's get some exponential prayer going. We start praying. He goes back to the doctor last week. And the doctor says, there is absolutely no cancer. Somebody got to, come on. No cancer. It's already been there. He's already had some surgery on it. This is worse. The doctor goes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just positive it's cancer. My father. Come on. Who's your daddy today? Who's your father? Who's watching over you? Who's taking care of you? Who's saying, I wish I could gather you like little chicks, like a mother hen does, and put my wings around you and guard you and protect you? Your dad is in the house. Your dad who loves you. And when that love gets exponentially in your heart, it drives out fear. I don't fear the things I used to fear. I don't fear you. A lot of pastors fear their churches today. Well, if I preach this message, they're going to vote me out. What is God telling you to say? Well, if I preach this message, they won't come back next week. What's God telling you to say? Because God takes this word and empowers it with the Holy Spirit and drives it into every heart individually as to what you need to hear. If I ask you when you leave today, what did you get out of the message? Every one of you will say something different. And there'll be a couple of you say things I didn't even say. I hope it makes me sound smarter. But there may be even some that twist what I say. Now, 
I'm here to tell you, we don't need to have fear running our lives. Don't fear. Don't worry. God is your friend. John says it that God is love. He cannot fail. It's not in his character. Love is the foundation for everything. Now by these three, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. I've got one more thing to say then I'll wrap this up because this is burning inside of me today. I hear people say all the time, and society has this phrase, well, before you can love others, you have to love yourself. And society is very overwhelmed and consumed with self. I say that is a false statement. Before you can love others, you must first love God. You cannot truly love others if you don't love God. You may say, well, pastor, people all the time love each other. Not with agape love. Not with a love that is unconditional. Not with a love that has no boundaries. There's three kinds of love. Agape, God love. Phileo is like brother and sister, family love. And then eros is a lustful love. People cannot love agape without God. You cannot truly have compassion for those you don't even know, for the lepers, for society's outcasts. For somebody else in their darkest moment, you cannot truly walk through that valley of darkness with them if you don't first love God. Message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.